Hey, God Watch people. It's Phil Goth here again with the God Watch podcast. Today, we are going to be doing something a little bit different. So in the podcast community, fellow Christian podcasters are sometimes hard to come by. Um, there's a whole lot of sermons and some really kind of funky, crazy stuff out there. But to find somebody who is doing close to what we're doing, I didn't know existed until I met Eric Nevins. He's got a show called Halfway There. And this week we are trading shows. So he aired one of mine last Monday. And then uh, this week we're going to air one of his. So it's kind of a, a real nice thing. And I think you guys will really enjoy it. So Eric was kind enough to tell me you could pick whatever podcast for mine that you want. And I think he's up to about 60 shows right now. So there was quite a few to pick from. And I remembered he had one and it was uh, an interview with a gentleman named Mike Sears. He's a pastor and an author. His story is so descriptive, you know, just in how he explains things and how he sees things. It uh, really translated well to me. So Eric is with uh, the Halfway There podcast, like I said. If you wanted to visit and see more of what he was doing, you could visit him at halfwaytherepodcast.com. I believe there's a Facebook page for Halfway There Podcast. Um, He also is one of the founding members of the Christian Podcasters Association, which uh, he graciously invited me to, and uh, we really communicate quite a bit in there. So back to... Mike Sears. He is, like I said, he is an author. He wrote a book called Pure Scum, which is probably going to sound kind of funny, but he also is the pastor of a church called Scum of the Earth. And so that church he started with the guys from Five Iron Frenzy in Denver, Colorado. And he's going to go into a little bit more detail on that and and how that name kind of came to be. So I hope you guys really enjoy Halfway There's podcast. This is episode number 54 of theirs. And at the end of the show, I'm going to give you a little bit more information on Eric and his show and how you can get connected with him, me, and everybody else. So let's get this started. Uh, Halfway There and the Gotta Watch podcast, Pod Swap. Enjoy. Welcome to episode number 54 of Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. This is where you can find out what it's really like to live life with God. And I have a really great episode for you today. This is one I've been excited to do and to share with you for a long time. And I'll tell you a little bit of that story in just a moment. Before I do, though, I want to let you know you can connect with the Halfway There podcast community at halfwaytherepodcast.com. You can leave a comment on the any of the show notes pages for the, this episode, or you can go to the Halfway There Podcast page on Facebook, which you can find at halfwaytherepodcast.com. And, uh, you know, just connect. Leave a, leave a message. Leave a story about how things, um, about how the episode affected you. Also, I'm thinking about starting a Facebook group 
And I need to know if that's something you'd be interested in. I'm thinking of a place where we can uh, share our stories on a a wider scale. You know, not everybody's going to end up in a podcast interview, but definitely a place where we can share our conversation, a conversation about who God is to us, where, what he's revealed to us um, and how he's, we've experienced him. uh, I think sounds like a, a great community to start. If you're interested in that, let me know. You can hit again the show notes page for this episode, episode 54, by going to halfway there podcast.com or facebook.com slash halfway there podcast. Hey guys, uh, this episode features a pastor. He's a pastor and author, and uh, I would even say avid listener of the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm so excited to interview him because a long time ago, Several years ago, I was writing a blog, and I found out that you can uh, you can get books sometimes to review when you're a blogger, and I requested a book, and the first book I requested was this one called Pure Scum, The Left Out, The Right-Brained, and The Grace of God by author and pastor Mike Sayers. He's my guest. He shares how he came to Christ. Um, you know, he's got this theme of water throughout his life, and he'll describe some of that to us, um, including how uh, God let him know that he should ask his wife to marry him. Um, The frustrating period of time when he was trying to get into full-time ministry, he felt this calling, and I can relate to that because I had a very similar time. In fact, when I first read this book, this might be why it resonated with me, Uh, that was the period of my life that I was in. Um, He also started a church, which I think might be the most interesting titled church in the country, if not the world. It's called Scum of the Earth. It's in downtown Denver. And uh, started that with a, a Bible study of guys in Five Iron Frenzy. If you guys know them, you may be familiar uh, with their with their work. He tells one story about uh, <laughs> letting art go on, even though there was some unsavory language in it, and uh, he definitely had to take a risk there, but it tells you a lot about who he is and who he thinks God is, and so we had to talk about that, and we finish off with a conversation about art. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to Mike Sayers. You're going to enjoy this one. Mike, welcome to Halfway There. Oh, glad to be here, Eric. I'm glad to have you on. Um, you're somebody that uh, I've been sort of connected to distantly through mutually known people, and so I'm excited to hear your story and um, and we'll talk through maybe parts of your of your book, Pure Scum. Um, you so why don't you just start out and tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and what you're doing and where God has you. And then we'll go back and talk about everything that God uh, has done in your life on the way here. Okay. Well, uh, briefly, uh, my name is Mike Sayers. It probably would have been Mikhail Sekalariu uh, if my grandparents had stayed in Greece. <laughs> uh, but uh, I was uh, raised Greek Orthodox, uh, came to faith, uh, I think in a personal faith, just after high school through the ministry of Young Life, uh, got involved in Young Life leadership, I ended up going on staff for a while, uh, took a 
I call it a detour, but I think it really was uh, God's road for me. So I was in all kinds of secular employment for a number of years. Hmm. And then at 40 years old, came to Denver to go to seminary and got uh, involved at a Presbyterian church and then ended up being part of the beginnings of a church called Scum of the Earth Church in 2000 with a bunch of young skater punks from Capitol Hill in Denver. And that's where I've been for the last 17 years. Is that, is that what you wanted? That's right there? perfect. Yeah, that's, that's great. I love it. So I want to ask you, how did you come to Christ? Like, what was that moment like when you, when your faith sort of became your own? Well, that was quite a remarkable moment, but it had about a two-year head start that I recall. I mean, I'm sure God was working ever since before I was born, but in terms of being cognizant of any kind of search for ultimate reality, I think it happened when I was maybe a junior in high school. I was at the age where I was beginning to get some confidence in myself as a young man, and I thought I'd like to sin with impunity. Mm. <laughs> I would like to drink as much beer and uh, bed as many girls as I possibly could. But I had enough of a Greek Orthodox upbringing to know that, mm, you know, if there is a God, then I, that's not a, that may lead to trouble. So <laughs> I decided to uh, search to find out if there really was a God or not, because I didn't know a lot about the Bible. I didn't know a lot about Christianity uh, outside of a service I didn't understand much of. Uh, so uh, I started going to Bible studies. There was a young, very good-looking senior girl who introduced me to her youth group. And uh, so I got to know these Baptists uh, who were very evangelical, obviously. I remember one kid from her youth group would just be on my case every time I saw him about coming and putting my life before Jesus and submitting myself to the Lord. And, and I, and I, I mean, the thing that freaked me out about him was that I knew he had things more together than me. And I thought I had things pretty well together, at least on the outside. I was in class. I was a class president. I was in hmm. varsity sports. I, you know, had a lot of talents and gifts, and I was putting my self-confidence in all these external things, but there was a reality about him. There was a solid core to him that I knew I didn't have, and so I would avoid him whenever I could coming down the hallway, uh, and he was younger than me, and so um, it was even more odd that I would be so intimidated by him, uh, but they introduced me to their pastor, uh, a young uh, youth guy named David Carter, who went on to, you know, be a great Christian author and counselor and write books and stuff. But at the time, he was just on fire. And he told me the plan of salvation and uh, said, do you want to accept Jesus? And I thought, well, um, 
I guess I should. Sure, <laughs> I'll give it a try. Uh, so we knelt down uh, in the back of the Baptist church uh, one Sunday, and that, which I didn't go to very often because we were going to a Greek Orthodox church. Um, and I uh, said the prayer, waited for something to happen, a voice, a feeling, thunder, lightning, whatever. Nothing happened. I went, oh, okay. And then my dad remarried because uh, he was a widow or he married a widow. And then our house was too small for the Brady Bunch that we became. So we moved to a new school district my senior year and left all those people behind. And it was there as I'm walking the high school as the new kid, all of my all the things I had based my shaky self-confidence upon were now gone. I met Christian kids, lo and behold, who invited me to come to Young Life. I went to Young Life. They were singing songs about Jesus, which I really honestly could not sing in all honesty. I thought, I don't believe this. I can't. I don't think I believe this. And then the guy gave a talk about Jesus, and I never went back. I thought, forget it. Uh, but then... Again, some attractive young ladies invited me to this Bible study before school. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to throw this away, I better really give it a thorough shakedown. So I'll go to the Bible study. I'll learn what they had to tell me. And then I'll say it's all a bunch of garbage and do what I want to do. So I started going to a Bible study. And it was at that Bible study the summer after I graduated that the Holy Spirit hit me. And this is the story you want me to tell, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So I had met a bunch of Christian people during this search uh, that past year, a lot of them from Young Life. And I remember we were playing basketball out in the Young Life leader's driveway. And he brought us in, and instead of having a regular Bible study that night, we were going to listen to a tape by a guy named Bill Bright, the founder and president of Campus Crusade for Christ, and he was talking about love. And so, like my mind did almost every Sunday during a Greek Orthodox service, it began to wander. And the guy's talking about love, and I'm just daydreaming. And all of a sudden, there were these clouds in a blue sky and every cloud represented had the name of a Christian that I had met in the last couple of years on it. It was kind of weird. I just knew that every cloud was somebody. And, um, this rain started coming out from each cloud, like a little stream. And I knew it was love. It was it was the love they had poured out on me. I was watching it just fall down out of the sky, and all these little streams merged into one giant stream. It was coming down straight toward my head in my daydream. But then the weird thing was the daydream became real in that I felt the water hit my head. Wow. Like I, It was like somebody standing behind you and pouring a bucket of water on your head. That's how it felt, except it didn't just splash 
over my head and down the side that actually went into my head like there was a, some kind of opening. And so all of a sudden this water, this liquid love is coming down and it's filling me up from the soles of my feet. I can feel it coming up my legs. I can feel it coming up my chest and I'm freaking out mm. but not making a sound because I'm in a room full of teenagers. And all of a sudden it got to the top of my head and then it stopped being this water coming in from the top. All of a sudden there's this geyser located somewhere in my chest and it just starts gushing out from the middle of my chest up through my head, out the top of my head. And I felt like dancing, I felt like shouting. All of a sudden I knew Jesus was alive that he was real, that my backhanded search for the truth had finally come to fruition. And um, man, it was, as I say now, the watershed experience of my life. I mean, it. it every, after that, I read the Bible and it was like a new book. It was exciting. I understood it in ways I hadn't understood it the day before. I, I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, honestly, uh, that was that was my moment of conversion, and I know it's odd, uh, but yeah, no, that's what I, happened. I, it's a great story, and one of the things I've been really impressed by in these doing these interviews. So I'm over episode fifty now, um, okay. or by the time this airs, I will be. And this, the ways that God talks to people or reaches people are actually not not as ordinary as I would, as I would have thought when I was a kid growing up in a really? jungle church. Yeah. I, um, you know, one guy, Steve Sims, um, who was on the last season, he, he had an experience where God told him, he asked him, you know, God asked him if you were a Hindu, born into a Hindu family, what would you be right now? It was like, Oh, I'd be a Hindu, you know? And so that kind of sent him on his quest. But in church, in the middle of church. So I guess what I'm saying is that God does these things. And so I, I love you that you shared that story. And that's what an interesting way. I mean, he does whatever he has to do to kind of get you. you yeah. Know? Yeah. I, I mean, I was an intellectual stalwart. I mean, I was making fun of uh, the Bible studies we would do. I was the guy with all the sarcastic comments during the Q&A. You know, I, yeah. I mean, I... So, so you, you could yeah. reason he your way out of faith. It sounds like, like if you what's that? You sounds like you could reason your way out of faith if you wanted to. Um, yeah, I think I think I was that kind of guy who was. I mean, I was looking for a, a reason not to believe. I mean, I, yeah. I had a goal in mind. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah, but you. So God gave you an experience that you couldn't overlook. That you just exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which is awesome. He's good like that. Yeah, he bypassed all of the intellectual questions. You know, it's weird because I say that, you know, I still had a lot of the same questions after the conversion as I did before. Like, I didn't know what happened to the people who never heard the gospel before. Mm. Why is there so much suffering in the world? Uh, you know, those questions were still there, but I was looking at them as it were from the other side of the wall. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, so. absolutely. And they're, they're different kinds of questions, right? Or, mm -hmm. Well, that's interesting. I'll have to think about that because it they really 
are still questions about the character of God, but once you've experienced him there, you ask them in a little bit different tone. Yeah, I think so. And I think there's a, there's, there's a trust there. There's a faith there that wasn't there before, or you could just slough him off because you didn't like the answers you were seeing. Uh, now you can't slough him off and you're going, now oh, there must be more to this than I think there is. Uh, because I know God's real. So I was open to more, I guess, teaching, possibility, whatever might be in the scriptures that I might learn. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you, so there's this big water, gush of water. Water really became a theme for you. Is Would you say that? Yeah. Like, like it became a, th- a thing that God has used in your life, at least in some of the stories that you relate in Pure Scum. I remember yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and more than what's in pure scum, frankly. Mm. Um, I was curious about that. Yeah, yeah. So, well, the first time I heard an audible voice, I guess, I've heard an audible voice twice in my life. Um, and it's not exactly audible like you and I are talking. It's one of those, you know, it's not your own thoughts kind of a mm-hmm. voice. And it's loud and it's penetrating and it didn't come from your own brain. You're pretty confident of that. Um, so the first time I heard that was, uh, I had been uh, dating the woman who was to become my wife, and um, we had gone. We had, I think we dated for about a year. We were in separate cities most of that time. She was in graduate school. I was uh, finishing up undergrad or. Uh, substitute teaching, or not, no, it was, yeah, substitute teaching or something. Um, so it was the summer after we had met the summer before. And uh, I was thinking about maybe asking her to marry me, perhaps Christmas time, maybe Thanksgiving, I would get all that stuff ready, you know, and, and ask her. Um, but uh, we were uh, up. Uh, late one night, uh, we were on her parents' porch. They had a couch out there, screened-in porch in Ohio. And we were, you know, talking, probably doing a little bit of necking. Um, we were, um, you know, just spending time together. And um, all of a sudden, <laughs> this is going to sound crazy, it felt like there was a tidal wave inside of my body, like in my chest cavity, and it came from somewhere back near my spine and then broke on the inside of my chest wall, like gosh, splush, like boom. And it just wiped me out. I remember thinking, this is, wow. And then I heard this voice and it said, ask her. And I went, what? I mean, I didn't know what that was. I, I pretty much sloughed it off being the intellectual type person that I was. I thought, well, I'm not going to pay attention to that. And, um, and then it happened again, a second time, same thing. This kind of tidal wave begins somewhere near my spine, comes forward in my body, splashes against my inner chest wall. And I hear this voice reverberating in my head, ask her, and I'm thinking, Lord, is this you? I mean, I, I had never experienced this before. I went, I don't know. I mean, I, I knew my, my little, train there was a tract i had read that had the engine as um our our faith being based on the fact of god's word so it was like fact and your faith is the coal car that's what 
comes afterwards. And then, you know, feelings are the caboose. Like, you don't worry about feelings in the Christian life. They are not to be trusted. Right. Our, our faith is based on the Word of God, uh, not on our feelings. And I went, okay, I, you know, and, and I'm thinking, this is all feeling. I didn't know what to do. I thought, I, I set up a very desperate, silent prayer. Lord, if this is you, um, or if this is not you, I don't know. But if it's not you you got to stop it right now. You have to stop this right now. But if it's you, if this ever happens again in the future, Thanksgiving, Christmas, I promise you, if you ever do this again, if it's you, I will ask her. And like 10 seconds later, boom, the whole thing happened again. Wow. And um, so Mary is looking at me and she's going, are you okay? (laughs) 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 And I'm going, um, um, I need to ask you to marry me. And wow. then, you know, she's looking at me and I'm, and I'm thinking, well, then you better ask her, Sarah's. Yeah. So I asked her and she said, yes. And I mean, it was, yeah, the water theme all over again. And, um, it was quite dramatic. I've come to believe, um, God does not give these kinds of things, these supernatural experiences capriciously, um, usually it's because we need one, yeah. you know, we're going to need it down the road. Um, I think Moses got a burning bush cause he was going to need a burning bush for the next 40 years. Um, uh, I think I got that because, um, we hit some bumpy roads, you know, in our engagement and our marriage. Mm. And I was going to need to be able to look back on that and say, no, I know this is what God did. So I'm very grateful for him doing that. Um, but yeah, the, the water theme happened again. There was a dream I had before scum began. And, uh, there was this old, old building. It was like a college campus or something. I remember it had like a dome on it. Um, and, uh, pillars in the front and, it was kind of bursting. There was something inside that was kind of making it almost pulsate. All of a sudden it just exploded. And there's this giant river of water that came pouring out of the thing. And, uh, it was making its course down the landscape. And pretty soon young people were like jumping in and being swept along by the current. They were on rafts. They were just, And, uh, I said, Mary, we got to go up and watch this thing. And so we just went up to this higher ground. We just watched all this, uh, uh, frivolity, frolicking, uh, and, and joy. Uh, and, um, I just remember thinking, oh, I wonder if that was about the beginning of scum. And Mm. um, it's been a long time since I've thought about that dream yeah but uh, it definitely was uh yeah about water as well and it it stuck with me all this time so yeah so we've seen a lot of young people kind of ride the wave of uh, the holy spirit you know come to faith in christ and you know it's been i mean scum's still about 30 years younger than i am so (laughs) it's kind of weird right (laughs) it's kind of weird yeah yeah which is interesting i can't wait to talk about that a little bit um but I want to go to your period of time between sort of when you came to Christ and then before you became a pastor, because that was a period, if I remember 
that right, you had you were a little bit you were kind of frustrated about what God was where He was trying to lead you. Is that right? Well, yeah, He wasn't leading me where I thought I needed to go. So I was twenty when I really felt the call to f- full time Christian work. Um, kind of say that with quotes around it because I don't believe you have to be in full time Christian work to do God's will. But I I really felt like that's what I wanted to do with all of my time not just part of my time. And uh, I went and told my uh, Young Life area director about it, a guy named Gary Burke, and he gave me some advice. He said, Mike, I don't want you to go on Young Life staff right out of college. I go, why? And he said, well, because you won't understand the people who support you. You won't understand what it's like to go to work for a living and then uh, how people have to donate once they do that and he goes i think Mm. people who don't have regular secular jobs are a little strange on young life staff because i really think it's important that you work a regular job which is not what i wanted to hear but um i did hear god's instruction through him and so i decided okay well i'll uh finish my degree i was going to get a degree in education and um, I'll teach high school so I can stay close to young people. And I'll do that for a couple of years, then I'll go to Young Life Staff. So uh, that's what I did. And um, then made the attempt to go on Young Life Staff. And, and so Mary and I uh, got married in uh, the summer of 1978. And then that fall, I was going on Young Life staff. In addition to Young Life staff, I was being hired by a Presbyterian church. So I was kind of doing half-time Young Life, half-time Presbyterian youth director. And, um, you know, pretty soon, I mean, we were we moved to Cleveland, Ohio. I mean, within several months, Young Life stopped paying me like they couldn't afford it anymore. Uh, so they had to shut the area down. I had to take a job in a screw machine shop in Hmm. Cleveland someplace. And, uh, then the Presbyterian pastor who hired me, uh, was going to leave the church he founded. And I thought I'm not sticking around. And so I left ministry, went back to Toledo, Ohio, where we were both from and went back into teaching. And I frankly was in secular employment for the next many years, like from, well, from 1979 uh, until I left for Denver Seminary in 1994. Mm. So, um, I mean, during that time, I mean, I would work at a church, you know, as a youth director or something or, you know, help out with Young Life here and there but uh, totally out of any kind of full-time ministry for a long time. Well, what did that do for you? Like what, so looking back now, you, you might be able to see some reasons for that, but what was it, um, you know, at the time, it's, I remember thinking that it was probably pretty frustrating for you. Exactly, yeah. It's terribly frustrating. In fact, you know, as I approached 40, I, I mean... I thought it's over, you know, I'm, I, the problem was, is that I, I couldn't keep going 
in the secular employment with the kind of fervor you need. So I was in sales and sales is a transfer of enthusiasm. Yeah. Right. And if you're not enthusiastic about your product, then you can't expect anybody else to be. And uh, I found my performance just going down the toilet. I had started out in the top 10% of the sales force. By the time I was done, I was probably in the bottom 10%. I, I just couldn't muster it anymore. And um, I was desperate. Uh, I mean, I wanted a fast. I mean, Frank, I'm a, I wanted an extended fast. I, I lost a significant amount of weight. Um, I was praying like crazy. Uh, just, I did everything I knew how to do to find out if God was going to ever place me where I always believed I should be. Hmm. And, um, you know, that was a lot of stops and starts. I mean, so at the end of the fast, I left the job where I was, took a job in an ad agency, ended up getting laid off. And then I was unemployed for a few months and I'm going, God, what are you doing? Like, I don't understand why you would let this happen after I fasted. And then I had to go back to work for the marketing firm that I had left before. And, um, uh, you know, things were getting worse and worse. And finally, um, God opened up an opportunity for me to come and live with my brother in Denver and go to Denver Seminary. And I told my wife, uh, hey, I think God wants us to go to Denver. Now, by this time, we had four kids. Mm, you know, yeah. Uh, probably 13 to three years old. And, uh, she's going, I don't think so. <laughs> you, know? you didn't tell me. Um, and so that put us in marriage counseling and we, uh, well, we were at a, we were at a standstill and then God started speaking to her. And uh, as she tells it, she goes, I told God, if he wants us to go to Denver, he's going to have to tell me, something every day. I want old fashioned wooing. I want, wow. <laughs> you know, you to let me know. And he did, you know, somebody would talk about, Oh, my sister in Denver loves it there. Or, or she would be in the car listening to the radio and a song about the Rocky mountains would come on or something like that. You know, it was just, she goes, just little things every day. And finally she said, let's move. And we, we sold the house. We packed up the kids. We moved to Denver and lived with my brother at 40 years old. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. And you went to Denver Seminary then? I did go to Denver Seminary then, yes. Um, it was shortly thereafter uh, uh, that I got hired as a part-time singles and young adult pastor over at Corona Presbyterian Church. And, um, yeah, was there for five years which is where I met the people who would become scum of the earth. Okay. All right. So take us into that story about how scum came about. Well, um, this is a very, in one sense, uh, it appears unspiritual, but it really is. So um, a few years after I was there, the pastor who had hired me uh, took a job in Pennsylvania we had an interim for a while with whom I got along fantastically. And then uh, we got the new senior pastor, and I wasn't his cup of tea. <laughs> and so after um, uh, close to a year, he let me know that he wanted my resignation. 
And uh, I'm, I was shocked. I'm thinking, does this mean I'm not going to get that raise that we were talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I think it does, yeah. And, so, and um, I, I thought, this is totally wrong. This is absolutely wrong. I mean, like, I think we make a great team. And he didn't think so. And so what are you going to do? You know, except you want to work for a guy who doesn't want you? I mean, so I, uh, I tendered my resignation. I remember um, during that time, a woman, Joyce Sawyer, actually, uh, came into my office at the church. And she said, Mike, someday I think you're going to see this as God's kissing your forehead. Wow. And I remember thinking, what? Like, I grew up a little Greek kid. I got kissed in the forehead all the time by many relatives. Like, this feels nothing like that. <laughs> right. That's not what that feels like. I know. <laughs> no. You know, but she was prophetic. I mean, it was true. I mean, this God's move in my life at that point had to be painful, or I probably never would have left Corona. And scum of the earth never would have begun because you uh, were you were comfortable. Oh yeah, You're I love the people there. They yeah. love me. Um, yeah, I liked it. Um, but um, yeah, so then of course I'm looking for the highest paying job within the will of God, you know. <laughs> right. And I got job offers uh, in Pennsylvania for one, uh, in Washington D.C. area to come and do singles ministry. But you know, in the back of my head, I just kept worrying about these young kind of skater punks, the five iron frenzy crowd, frankly, um, I had become the pastor to the band five iron frenzy and, uh, they had started a Bible study, which I hosted or they hosted it. I was kind of like the host pastor, I guess. Uh, they let it, I hosted it. And, um, there was a little crowd of, young people that had gathered around the Bible study and we were talked about doing an alternate kind of a service that maybe they could get into more than the Presbyterian services we were offering. And they said, well, Mike, are we going to do this or not? And I thought, I can't afford this. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was the weirdest thing. It's like, so I'm asking God, I don't know what to do. And then all of a sudden people started coming up to me I mean, a few people, like my brothers were two of them. Um, my friend Paul, in whose office I am currently, and they said, look, Mike, um, we don't know where you're going to go, what you're going to do, but, man, you need to keep working with that group of young people that you're with. And if you do that, we will give you money every month. And I'm going, what? Wow. And then my friend Steve from Celebration Community Church said, hey, look, uh, we know how hard it is to get started because we just started, we just planted this church. So if you decide you want to do a church plant with uh, these young people, we'll give you $1,000 a month for the first 12 months because it's the hardest then. And I went, excuse me? And like all of a sudden I had this job, you know, that was with a job description that was only in my head. And I, you know, so, yeah, so, I mean, so, so God was at that point using his body to tell me mm. what he wanted me to do because I didn't get it, you know? Yeah. 
I mean, Dr. Jim Means from the seminary was uh, my mentor at the time, and that man painted me into a corner. I mean, I was so angry with him. He told me the story. He goes, Mike, you know, I know you're looking at all these jobs around the country, and you got that group of young people, kind of outcasts in Capitol Hill. He goes, let me tell you a story. He goes, now, when I go to Africa with the medical missions team, and we do inoculations on babies. He goes, when I'm coming back on the plane, I know nobody's going to go there to take my place. When I go and teach in that little Ukrainian seminary, you know, for hardly any pay and I'm coming back, he goes, I don't think anybody's going there to take my place. But he goes, every pastoral job I had, before coming to the seminary, he goes, there were a line of people ready to take my place. And then he just kind of shut up and looked at me. And I'm thinking, <laughs> you jerk. <laughs> you know, I know exactly what you're doing. You're saying that if I take, if I, if I don't take one of these jobs uh, that are elsewhere, that people be lined up to take those jobs in Washington, D.C. and Pennsylvania. But there ain't nobody going back to Capitol Hill to work with those skater punks, is what you're telling me. Yeah. I don't know if I told that story exactly right, but that's pretty much what happened. No, that's fantastic. I actually have met Jim Means a couple of times. We used to go, I can't remember, Southern Gables? He, yeah. he went there? Yeah. So um, yeah. Met, heard him speak a few times, and that's just just amazing. He's, he's a, he is one of those guys who has a way with words. He, he knows how to, how to yeah. do it. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Okay. So tell us a little bit about scum and, you know, not just like into kind of the people that you're ministering to and kind of the, the way that that you told us how it come, came together, but tell us more about that. Cause you described some stories in the book. Um, I love mm. the one about Easter about about the poem oh well, that was so, christmas oh was it christmas okay I, for yeah, some I thought yeah, it was Easter, but it was yeah. it was an important holiday the christmas eve yes yes that's uh, right all right well so scum attracts the left out and the right brained yeah. um and uh so we have a lot of artists we have a lot of poets we've got a lot of writers we've got actors and and the like. And so what evolved for us on Christmas Eve fairly early on was we would do a little liturgy, which we don't often do, which we hadn't done up to that point. But it would be an original poem, a reading from scripture, um, a responsive prayer or something, and then a Christmas carol. And we would just kind of repeat those over and over again. So we would have like maybe three or four original poems on any given Christmas Eve. And so this particular Christmas Eve, there was a young woman who was a phenomenal poet, slam poet, nationally recognized, uh, but she had left Christianity, left the church, but was still friends with people from scum. Uh, and she was coming back to the Lord, I think, in a very 
significant way. And so Reese Roper, the lead singer from Five Iron Frenzy, my original co-pastor, calls me up and says, hey, Mike, he goes, Kate has got a poem for Christmas Eve, but it's got it's got the F-bomb in it several times. I want to know if it's okay for her to read it. <laughs> okay. This is like every pastor's nightmare, right? Or for most pastors, it's an easy decision. Yeah, it is. It yeah. is. But it's not for me because this is scum of the earth and – you know, I know the girl. Um, I don't want to be part of blocking her from coming back in to the church, you know. I mean, the capital C church. I don't want to, I want to do that. Um, and I know she's such an idealist that if I say, you can't say the F-bomb, you know, this is going to be a problem. So, checked out the context of the F-bomb, and in that she's working with some, in the poem, uh, she actually was talking about one of the juvenile delinquents she had been working with in a poetry therapy kind of a class. And, uh, you know, she had given them assignment, and he was the one who just let go with the F-bomb because he was mad at his parents, he was mad at the school, he was mad at his teachers, he was mad at his boss, he was mad at everybody, and so he was going, F you, F that, you know, whatever. And so she's quoting him being this angry young man. But overall, the poem was one about redemption, uh, really, uh, and it paralleled her redemption story, like where she identified with this kid. And um, so I, I didn't know what to do. So I, you know, I remember calling Craig Blomberg from Denver Seminary. I said, Craig, <laughs> we got to talk. And so we talked about about it. I talked with some pastor friends of mine, several pastors, you know, who were all sympathetic because, you know, this is a girl coming back to faith uh, or to faith for the first time. And then there's my supporters. Uh, Scum never really supported me very well financially, so I had to have supporters like a missionary uh, the whole tire, entire time. And I had supporters who said, absolutely not. You can't do that. That's not proper. I mean, yeah. so Craig is going, well, if she's not saying that to people directly, if she's not saying that to people, then it's not really – the scriptures – Craig was 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 – nuanced in terms of she's quoting this very dark uh, language, but it's in a greater redemption story. Uh, the Bible does that. There's some pretty dark strokes in that painting you know, that talk about redemption for the human race. Um, as long as, you know, she's quoting somebody and, and not saying it directly to anybody, it's, it's, it's much better uh, the pastors, of course, were concerned about her her s spiritual track and not stopping that along the way. And then, of course, my supporters who were saying absolutely not. And uh, I'm thinking, okay, so if I'm going to offend somebody here, I think I'll offend the stronger brother and the stronger yeah. sister as opposed to the weaker sister. That's what I would do. Yeah. And so I said, okay, you can do it, but it's going to cost me. <laughs> <laughs> she goes, what? I go, it's going to cost me. So, she, you know, in her own kind of young way, she goes, okay, well, I'll, I'll cut down from like a dozen to like six. 
or something. Oh, wow. you know, yeah. Which <laughs> didn't really cut it for my supporters, right? <laughs> who were there. So yeah, so that happened. Um, I gave a warning at the beginning. Hey, this is going to be R-rated. Uh, if you're offended, you may want to leave or, you know, uh, and so my supporters are there with their, their aged, like mother-in-law <laughs> who've been a missionary. And so they, they, he was so angry with me that I decided to do this and they took her out and their daughter was crying because her parents and her grandma were now leaving the church on Christmas Eve. And, um, it was, and then all of a sudden Kate gets up there and does this poem and I'm telling you. There was a stunned silence when she got done. And you're thinking, okay, this is either really, really good or really, really bad. And all of a sudden, the place erupted in applause. I mean, and they were actually kids with tears rolling down their faces. And I got notes, Mike. I didn't ever thought church could be that real. Like, this was an amazing point. Like, if, 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 <laughs> If church could be this real, then maybe God could be real. I mean, it was one of those kind of weird, yeah, spectacular moments in in my church life. Um, and then, of course, I had to set about repairing the relationship with my supporters. And um, I'm really happy to say that that is 100% healed. Yeah, that's awesome. W yeah. What about the poet? Did, was, did that end up being formational in her experience? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, she became part of the church. She uh, even, uh, you know, began serving um, in, you know, ways around the church that were wonderful. I mean, mm -hmm. so, yeah, yeah. No, that's great. Okay, so that story brings up two things I want to talk to you about, and I don't want to, well, don't want to keep you too long, but no, it's I, okay. I totally want to have these conversations with you. One is risk. Right, you had to take a risk to do to say yes to that. Yeah. Um, and so you talk a lot about risk in in the book. I had a couple of quotes, but just things that I had outlined when I when I read it the first time. Um, you know, you say any risk taking adventure includes the possibility of failure and falling on your face and looking like an idiot. Mm -hmm. But you know, you got to be okay with that. So yeah. you know, you've You've you obviously did that when you started Scum. You have done that um, in the. You've taken risks because the Lord has led you. Mm -hmm. What do you think are maybe some risks that our listeners might? I don't. We we don't know them, so we can't say you know what they need to take. But what are some risks that you think maybe God is asking the evangelical church to take right now? My goodness, I know it's a big question. You can you can answer yeah. however you want. I just like the idea of risk. You know what I'm saying? Like that's. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's always a risk when you don't do the thing that you know works, and, and by that I mean, okay, so you got a lot of churches. Everybody's trying to get more people because they want to spread the gospel, but they also want to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. And so there's a temptation, I think, to just do what the culture finds attractive. Um, I could, and I don't think that 
is risk taking when it comes to doing church together. So how can I put this? Okay. So I'll just put it in my context. So having a church, uh, down in the city center with no parking lot is a risk. Yeah. Um, because we know what people like. They like really safe, well-lit parking lots that are close to the building. Um, and so if you want to have a large church, you know, you're going to steer away from the, uh, the city center. And I'm saying take a risk and see what God might do uh, and go against that expectation um it might be even risky to do a like we do a meal every every week we have for you know almost the whole time we've been at church and it brings in the homeless people that is risky behavior because well yeah. They might be drunk. They might say something terrible. Right. They may s- smell bad. They may scare young families away from your church. Um, and I'm saying, you know, take the risk to follow the Lord and to be messy. I mean, it. Um, I think there's a risk you take when you let people question yep. the scriptures, let people question uh, the uh, reality of Jesus, let people question Christian morality. Yeah, you know, when you allow them to say those kinds of things out loud in the, in the context of your Jewish community, like, did, you know, sometimes you just want to shut people up and, and at least it looks like we're, all towing into you know, the party line. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that if, that if you have a place where <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, so at this guy, this guy shows up, um, I think he's with the, uh, Denver rescue missions crossing program. And so he shows up and he announces to me that he's a pagan. He's got to go to church someplace according to the chaplain of the rescue mission. And so he chooses scum of the earth uh, but he says, yeah, he says, but I want you to know I'm a pagan. I'm going, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> can I introduce you to another pagan who comes here? Would <laughs> and, so, right. and so I'm introducing two pagans to one another, you know, at the church building because scum is a place where it's okay. I mean, if you're not a Christian, you're still welcome. You're still, you know, like come to Bible study, come eat with us, come whatever. I mean, that's just kind of, I, I think is risky behavior on the part of a church to allow that. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think it's healthy for, uh, for evangelism. Yeah. <laughs> Let people be honest about where they're at. Well, I totally agree with that. And that's really, I guess, why I asked the question, because I think there's a way that allowing people to be risky and to admit that they don't completely agree with you and loving them anyway Mm-hmm. says an awful lot about not just who we are, but about who God is and the ways that he's loved us. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. Th- that's, so I, 
I really admire that you're doing that and that, that, that that's a big part of your ministry. Um, certainly we, we try at our church, but I, I hope that the more, the more we can do, you know, the better as far as I'm concerned. And here's the great thing. I mean, I think when you take a risk, obviously you can fail, like it can blow up in your face. Right. Right. And, um, you know, things have blown up in our faces before. Um, but here's the truth. The truth is when, when you take a risk and you fail, you know, what you end up getting, honestly, I think is relationship with Jesus on a level you knew it before. You never knew it before. Mm-hmm. I'll illustrate with Peter walking on the water. Jesus calls him out. Peter takes the risk, gets out of the boat. He starts to sink, right? Yeah. Jesus saves him. They get back in the boat. And then Jesus says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And I'm thinking, oh, I would hate to hear that. That would be embarrassing in front of all the other disciples, right? But but I like to continue the story in my head. This is not scripture. This is Mike Sayers. But I'm thinking, you know, they get back on the shore. And I think Jesus looks to Peter and Peter looks to Jesus and Jesus gives Peter a little wink like, yeah. hey, they're the only two guys in the history of the earth <laughs> who have ever walked on water together. Right. That's, I mean, Peter may have sunk, but what he got was an intimate relationship with Jesus in a way that nobody else has it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, when you fail if you try anything that you think God wants you to do and it ends up not working, what you're going to get is you're going to get a depth of relationship with Jesus as you work through that failure, you know, whatever the cause was, uh, you're going to have, I mean, like I said, many, many years of not being where I really wanted to be. And I think if, if those years of not being in full-time ministry, my goal um, meant anything. It meant that I got closer to Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I want to ask you one more thing. Cause I think this goes into art or, or sorry, goes into risk and that's art. Cause I think it's very, very interesting. Um, your church is very artistic church, obviously with the, with the poetry and the, and the artists and the, you said the right brain, yeah. um, and the musicians, um, you know, so I guess I'm not even sure what my question is other than I find it very fascinating that if you're willing to take risks, those are the kinds of people that, you know, that come there. Yeah. Um, you know, they're cause really art is a risk and it's on its own, True. Is, in its own right. It is. Yeah. Um, okay. So there was one more quote that I wanted to just pull out of here out of the book. Well, I, you don't say who this is, but you say one musician friend of mine says some people sing about the light while others sing about what they see because of the light. Right. And I've always kind of loved that quote because it, when I think about art, especially Christian art, you know, mm-hmm. um, there, all right, I'm, I'm not going to go on a tirade, I promise, but there's a lot of Christian movies that just kind of stink, you know, right? Um, because they have to show you, the conclusion than the ha- and the happy ending instead of just showing you a great story, right? Uh, they they can't do that. They can't show me what they see because 
they can't show me the beauty of God and what he's doing out in the world because they want to show me the light, you know? Right. Um, anyway, I, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that or anything you want to, you want to add to that? Um, my wife is a liter was a literature major and, um, she is taught in universities and sub two teaches now in high school. But I mean, she's a very bright woman and she was telling me one time, uh, her, her and her, her her parents are uh, are Czech, so they escaped uh, the communists in 1948. So that whole Eastern European communist thing is very close uh, to the hearts of of my my wife's family because they have family who stayed behind and uh, and you know got inundated with all that atheistic stuff and um, and her parents are very devout Catholics. Um, but she says the communists thought they could stamp out Christianity in Russia. And so they closed the churches and they did all this stuff and they persecuted people. They put them in jail uh, and in the gulags, but they couldn't stamp it out. It kept cropping back up. And she said, you want to know the reason why? I said, why? She says, uh, Dostoevsky. <laughs> And, right. um, um, Tolstoy. Oh my Tolstoy. Exactly. Yeah. She's going, that is great art. Yep. And you know, you've got, you've got real situations. Nothing is, I mean, the brothers Karamazov and Anna Karenina, nothing is neat and tidy right. in those books <laughs> when it comes to Christianity. Right. I mean, uh, and, uh, and don't, I'm not talking about the movies, the movies kind of castrate, uh, the books in terms of their faith component. But, oh, yeah. uh, but, you know, I think good Christian art can save a nation. Oh. I mean, it doesn't have to always tie up neatly in a bow. I mean, I'm all for movies. Well, the two most, two most recent movies I saw, uh, that were Christian were, um, the shack and, um, the case for Christ. Yeah. Right now, now those are both movies about the light, really. right? Not what you can see by the light. And actually, they're two of the more well done films I've seen about the light. But um, but you can uh, you know you just write the truth, and I think God will take care of the rest. Yeah. That's my opinion. Yeah, I think those two movies don't pretend to be anything other than about the light. And, right. And I think right. because they're honest with the viewer that that's where they they can they can, they have a little more leeway in terms of, you know, what they're going to try to show you cuz you you know what they're going for. Right. Yeah, anyway, interesting. All right. Well, I'd love to have that conversation more with you sometime cuz it really okay. is one of my um just one of my one of my hobby horses, you know. I really I have a feeling sometimes I talk about things over and over until I get to a certain, until I find a breakthrough in it, you know, and I think art, Christian mm -hmm. art is one of them that there's something there. There's more that I want to know or that I want to experience that is, is valuable, I think to the, to the church. So, yeah. Anyway, I'm with you. Well, I don't want to keep you too long. Um, is there anything else you want to, to share with us? All right, yeah, I, I kind of want to say this. So we've talked about the grand and glorious 
words of the Lord and dreams and that I've had, which, you know, are wonderful, phenomenal, necessary, uh, given the tests and trials that would come later. But um, I'm going to talk about that still small voice type of direction from God that happened just recently. And that is uh, several years ago now, um, I was just doing my thing every day, just whatever. And this thought popped into my head, just a little tiny thought said, you know, scum doesn't need a 65-year-old senior pastor, which, which I promptly dismissed. Because it is my conviction that young people need old people. It's been my whole life. Then the thought came back. You know, scum doesn't need a 65-year-old senior pastor. And I'm thinking, that's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. I intend to die in the pulpit. I will be like the Pope. You know? And, uh, you know, I'll give a sermon and then croak. And that'll be great. And then the... The thought came back, just a thought, but it had spurs on the end this time. It stuck in my brain. You know, scum, the earth doesn't really need a 65-year-old senior pastor. And then I went, wait a minute. Okay, hang on. This is the third time I've had this thought, and, you know, it's not something I would have normally come up with on my own. Could it be the Holy Spirit whispering into my brain something that I need to pay attention to? And um, so I thought about it some more. Uh, maybe it is. Talked to a few people I respect. And um, that really was the beginning of me accepting the fact that I would have to pass the torch at Scum of the Earth, you know, at some point, possibly by 65. So, um, I began talking to people at church about it, the council, the staff, and the weird thing about it was the more I talked about it, the more it kind of gained momentum. And um, I was pretty sure by the time I went in sabbatical uh, in 2014 that, you know, I think it is the Holy Spirit. And so after spending even more time praying about it, came back and we we put some plans into place about how that might happen a little more easily, a little less traumatically than it normally does when the founding senior pastor leaves. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I'm just really grateful that most of the time that God speaks to me, it's not in those big giant ways, because that usually means it's going to be tough up ahead. Yeah. But at least the little tiny voices, you know, if you pray about them, if you check scripture out, if you talk to wise counselors, and it does seem that's the way that God is moving, then I think you can confidently progress in that direction, knowing that, yes, you have been led by the Holy Spirit, and that, frankly— Maybe I'm maturing enough to where it doesn't have to be a light show and a you know smoke pods from the Holy Spirit to get me to pay attention. Yeah. So just wanted to end with that. Yeah, no, that's perfect. Thank you for sharing that story. That's uh, 
I love that God has spoken to you in like many different ways, right? The the big fireworks and the and the still small voice. And uh, so, are you planning then? To you said you're planning to step down. Yeah, is that soon? I'll be stepping down before I'm 65. Gotcha. So I've got less than two years now. Okay. Um, I've already handed over kind of the the elder position, uh, the visionary. Uh, to Jesse Heilman, uh, my right-hand guy. Uh, and I'm actually trying to learn how to submit to him. I must become less than he must become more, in the words of John the Baptist. Um, and so, yeah, so that's that's occurring. Um, I'm really, really happy about that. It's going, it's going pretty well. In fact, he says sometimes, Mike, you're doing this too well. I, I need you. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's great. Right. Thanks, Mike, for coming on to Halfway There. All right, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed the Halfway There show. Um, I know that I enjoy when they come out, and I, that's one of the ones that I do subscribe to. So um, remember, he can be found on wherever you find your podcast. You can get Halfway There. So go out there, look at it, look for it, subscribe to it, and uh, let Eric know how great of a job he is doing. Uh, on a personal note, I told you I would, I'd let you know a little bit more. So Originally, the God Watch podcast, I wanted to do it a few years ago before we actually got started. And I looked all over and I could not find somebody who was sharing people of God's experiences, uh, testimonies, and just how God was moving and shaping in, in his people's lives. So after I got started, uh, I was maybe 10 shows in and I came across this guy on a, on a web forum and it was Eric and I went to his show and listened to it. And I was like, wow, it is a lot like what we do. I mean, we have our own flavors and our own way that we do things, but, uh, you know, it, it was close enough that, that I was really interested. And so either he reached out to me or I reached out to him. I don't remember what it was. And it was funny because it turned out that his hometown is Des Moines, Iowa where we're based out of. And, and he actually lived about 15 miles from where I lived and he's currently in Colorado, but it was just interesting how it all comes together. It's one of those things that, that God plays in part of, and it just, everybody's experience, you know, kind of what we, what we show on all the shows is our experience is so unique, but yet we're all drawn so closely together. So, Please go give Eric some love. Visit this his webpage again. That's halfwaytherepodcast.com. You can find him on Facebook, Halfway There Podcast. You know how to find us. We tell you every week. So if you don't, you can go get the one before this. And next week we'll be back to our original shows and style. Uh, I'm really excited. Next week we're going to be bringing you a young woman who just is trying to live out God's plan for her life every day and how she just is unashamed to be who she is. And it's, it's really great, really interesting. Um, remember that if you enjoyed Mike Sears, you can find his book, Pure Scum. I think, uh, I'm pretty sure you can get it on Amazon. So I would check there first. Uh, but other than that, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Have a great week and be blessed.